Hello, and welcome to episode six and the Christmas special of The Burning Issue, where we look at the current and future state of the energy recovery sector. My name is Luke Walsh, and I'm the editor of EndsWasteAndBioEnergy.com. On this episode, I'm talking to Clyde Lokes, who is the deputy leader of the London Borough of Waltham Forest and also chair of the North London Waste Authority, the public body charged with managing the recycling and disposal of household waste for two million North Londoners across seven London boroughs. Since the early 1970s, North London's residual waste has been sent to the publicly owned energy from waste plant based in Edmonton, which is operated by London Energy and owned by the NLWA. A new plant is due to replace the current facility in 2026, and it began construction earlier this year. It will also be publicly owned, something which remains very rare in the UK's energy recovery sector. Hello, Mike. Thank you for talking to me today. Hello, Luke. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, Before we learn a bit more about you, can you tell us about the £4.7 million paid back to your seven London boroughs? How were you able to pull off this early Christmas present? Yeah, thanks, Luke. And uh, it really is some good news when we are faced with such bleak news, whether directly with the climate emergency or the cost of living crisis or even the constantly unfolding tragic news that we're getting from Ukraine. However, our household residual waste from two million homes in North London is sent for disposal to an energy from waste facility that the seven boroughs own through the North London Waste Authority, which is based in Edmonton in Enfield. We've been doing this since 1971, and it generates electricity, which is fed into the national grid and provides equivalent power to 80,000 homes each year. Due to the global energy price rises that we're all seeing, facilities just like other energy suppliers has earned a considerable amount of extra income this year. We're trying to find a way of getting that extra income back to the householders who at this particular challenging time so desperately need it. And because we own the facility, we have control over that extra windfall dividend as opposed to it going to private shareholders. Because as you probably know, many people contract that disposal aspect out to the private sector. But it's a staggering 4.75 million. In other words, the cost of waste disposal for 2 million Londoners is zero this November. And this money will help our borough support those most vulnerable residents during this devastating cost of living crisis, as well as fund various climate initiatives, such as insulation. I suppose the obvious question is, will you be able to do it again? I'm not holding my breath. Who knows what the government will announce as part of its budget process? We have seen some focus on energy companies so far, but let's just wait and see. Maybe maybe things will improve. It's interesting you say that. Do you think perhaps the government could cap the profits you're making? Who knows? But ultimately, we're a waste disposal facility, not an energy-creating facility. And if there is these opportunities, a windfall dividend will do our utmost to ensure that our residents in North London benefit from that opportunity. As usual with this podcast, it's about the people as well as the energy recovery sector. So I'd like to talk a bit more about you, Clyde, if that's okay, and then we'll hear about your work. So what's an average work day like for you? There is no average work day, Luke. Every day in local government, in some of the roles that I have, it means every day is totally different. But generally, I get up, do some chores around the house before leaving, normally on my bike, uh, to here, Town Hall in Walthamstow, or perhaps into central London, or quite often over to Camden, virtual meetings, which is great. Physical meetings, more of those again now, which is also great. 
I do think you can quite often get more out of people when you're meeting face-to-face. Sometimes there's meetings in the evening, but again, a lot of those are hybrid now. So that's also quite positive from my home family life perspective. I was going to ask you if it's changed since COVID, but I guess the hybrid meeting things. COVID was a fairly unique time in anyone's lives, never mind those people that provide services. So a lot of our attention here in Wolfram Forest, for example, was around responding to the impact of COVID, particularly on some of our frontline services. But there's been some positives that we can take away, and that is the kind of flexibility around working patterns. And that's not just for me as an elected politician. It's also for many of our staff. They've been able to change the way they work. More people can work at home. It was proved that people can work from home. If I don't have to travel into central London, even if it's using the tube or bus, I'm reducing my carbon impacts on the world working from home. So, And with your NLWA hat, what's your biggest challenge at the moment? Biggest challenge, I think, at the moment is how we continue to deliver disposal waste as we build our new facilities. Uh, Edmonton, I'm sure we're going to touch on that a bit later. Even though it's quite a large site, it's quite a challenging site to be able to maintain day-to-day disposal opportunities for the seven boroughs, as well as build some rather large new pieces of kit. And that's a challenge. With the global setting, because obviously this kit construction is more international piece of work rather than just a kind of local piece of work challenges around getting materials a lot of the expertise becomes a little bit more challenging and we're very confident of the project and where we are and our ability to continue to dispose of current residents waste as well as plan for the disposal of the future you mentioned some of the problems you've got there i guess you were hinting towards brexit and you mentioned the current government obviously you're a labor politician so we can imagine your stance on the current government what we do see is some waste prevention recycling and recovery slipping down the agenda as the economy struggles definitely definitely and even before covid the lack of pace and emphasis around things like the extended producer responsibility positive return scheme you know we've been talking about these things for so many years been consulted on endlessly and still they're not inactive they're just sitting there and for our perspective there are so much still single-use plastics that should never exist and certainly could well have been phased out by now for me one of the big things is in the uk recycling is still a voluntary endeavor it needs to be compulsory and local government needs the powers to help ensure it's compulsory it's those kind of big things that could be enacted relatively quickly. You know, even when you watch David Attenborough on a Sunday night, that impact of that programme doesn't filter through to people's behaviours. But of course, they all say, oh, David Attenborough, did you see the polar bears, the seals or whatever? Just do not put two and two together. You know, they go back to their ordinary lives of kind of single-use stuff that they just chuck away. The government's not going to make the big push to make the big changes. What can you do to make convince people to send less to the energy from waste products? I think that's what you ultimately want, isn't it? Oh, most definitely. You know, we're all about waste uh, prevention, whether that's from a kind of what we can do here and now. And we're very proud of some of the work that we've done in that space. We've recycled almost 100,000 mattresses over the past year alone. That's a huge amount of waste that was previously not being recycled. Whether they're fly-tipped or whether they're part of bulky waste collections, you know, but 100,000 across the seven boroughs is a phenomenal uh, figure. We're recycling polystyrene now. A messy thing. It's a tricky thing, especially from a packaging perspective. 
it's bulky, so it's not an easy thing to collect at the doorstep, but, you know, take it to one of our household waste and recycling centres and we'll transform it and then it can be recycled and reused. Yeah, it doesn't weigh a lot, so it doesn't add huge amounts to your recycling tonnages every year. But again, it's about taking out some of these materials and ensuring that they have further opportunities to be used. Our waste prevention programme, one of the most extensive in the country, working with community groups, residence groups, faith groups to try and kind of engineer changes in behaviour with some of the kind of people that they can have conversations with rather than waste geeks like ourselves. These are really, really important interventions. And of course, we'll continue to lobby and lobby hard. And, you know, there's not a week that goes by that I'm not writing a letter to a, a never changing government minister. It's been the case for the past few months, but, you know, writing to government ministers, you know, asking them to consider changes to pieces of legislation, asking them to pick up the baton on extended producer responsibility or deposit return scheme or compulsory recycling or phasing out another piece of single-use plastics or talking to the pharmacy industry about blister packs, you know, just other things that could be challenged now and designed out of the system, you know, and just starting to kind of improve that circular economy and reduce the amount of waste in the currently in the system. And that's also, ironically, one of the arguments that was used against the new Edmonton plant, uh, that as recycling rises, you won't need energy recovery, but there's still going to be waste that can't be recycled, isn't there? There'll always be residual waste that needs to be dealt with, you know, and London continuing to grow. and We're building facilities for the next 50 years. You know, we're not just looking at the next couple of years, you know, and it's really, really difficult when you're looking to build infrastructure to deal with current challenges to kind of project that forward. But that's what we've endeavoured to do. And, you know, even if we do see and we hope to see a you know, significant increase in recycling over that period of time, the plant can still run at a reduced rate anyway, effectively and efficiently. But, you know, the plant does feature in the Mayor's uh, Environment Strategy. You know, it is a cornerstone on helping London deal with Londoners' waste. And that's a principle that I think is really, really important. If you start exporting waste out to other places, you increase the carbon footprint of that waste and you're making it someone else's challenge and issue to dispose of. And, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong in that. London should be dealing with London as waste and that's why it sits in the Mayor's Environment Strategy. I think the proximity principle is a really important element of this. But obviously, with the proximity principle, and you're building a new plant at Edmonton, it's going to be close to people who live there. And that's led to tensions locally. So how have you dealt with that aspect? The plant's been there for 50 years already. I mean, this isn't like a new facility in a new place. So there has been an energy recovery facility at that site for, since 1971 that's been operating. So it has always been placed in that area. And it is a small minority of people that have challenged us and rightly challenged us. You know, we live in a democracy and it's right that that's in place. But, you know, we're in constant dialogue with the local communities in and around Edmonton. We have regular meetings with them. You know, we put a huge amount of emphasis in all the work that we're doing. Of course, it's not just an energy recovery facility that we're building there. It's a resource recovery facility. It's a new household waste and recycling centre. There's an education centre going in there as well. We've got a huge amount of social value into the overall programme, training local people, hiring local people, hiring local businesses to deliver key aspects of the project as well. So, you know, there's a lot of people benefiting. Of course, when you're generating cheaper electricity as a consequence of what we're having to do, more and more people are benefiting. You know, and it is a heat and power network that we're introducing as well. 
it's not just Edmonton that are going to feel the benefits of that now. You know, you know, communities in Haringey are going to be benefiting. Hopefully, at some point, residents in Northern Fires will be benefiting as well. So, you know, there's a lot of benefits that are coming out uh, from this. And of course, it's a far cleaner facility than the one already in place, which is already, you know, performing well below the Environment Agency standards. And the new piece of kit will perform even better than the World Health Organization expects from such facilities as well. So, Makes sense. A 50-year-old plant is yes. not going to be as good as yeah. a brand new. Although, to be fair, you know, we have done all we can to that plant over the years to reduce its impact on the local environment, improve its efficiency uh, during that time. So it's lasted well. It's the oldest of its type in Europe, and you know, and the one that we are building that got its development consent order in 2017 is going to be one of the most efficient and effective and least environmentally impactful in the world. You know, and there's 20 other ERFs that have secured planning permission or planning consent order since. They don't even come close to what we're proposing in 2017. So there's a lot of focus on us. Always amazing me there's not so much focus on these other 20 plus and almost, you know, a couple of years of getting the permissions. I, I, in a way, I feel sorry for you because I think building it in London, you've had the Black Lives Matter movement say it's unfair against mm. ethnic minorities. I mean, what, what do you say about that? I mean, I defer to the recent comments by Muyawa Oki, the new president of River, a 31-year-old black man and one of our architects for Edmonton. I mean, he is an outstanding role model. He's been part of a hugely diverse workforce on the project too. Criticism, I think, is a diversion from the real issue, which is that industrial areas are more populated by less advantaged communities due to lower housing costs. That's a historical thing, and that isn't something just in Edmonton or just in London. You know, that's, that's a global phenomenon. And it's the North Circular that's the real source of toxic fumes, not facility which is strictly regulated by the Environment Agency. There's both the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, and our Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, have recently pointed out the new facility will have the most advanced tech in the world to make it even cleaner. Particulates, for instance, will be almost a thousand times lower than the World Health Organization limits. And that's got to be a good outcome for the local people, plus the jobs. These are good entry-level jobs that lead into highly technically advanced jobs as well. And that's during the construction process, as well as running and maintaining afterwards. And those kind of jobs, you know, in northeast London are really, really important for our local communities. And also, I suppose you're talking about cutting the emissions from it. One of the crucial ways forward, I suppose, is carbon capture. I know you're starting down that road. Is there anything else you can tell us about how that's going? It's expensive. It's expensive at the moment. And I have hope that the rigmarole of going through all these COP processes, 27, which we're still going through at the moment, that more and more people will start to kind of see this as an important part of net zero and reducing our impact on the planet. And we'll start to get more brighter scientists pondering some of these challenges and coming up with some options around this. I mean, but currently the government is investing in carbon capture as well as the clustering of industries, which will bring the economies of scale. And even at the time of recession, you've got to plan and invest for the future. You know, research and development in this space is critical, especially if Rishi Sunak keeps saying, the UK is regarded as more forward thinking when it comes to responding to climate emergency and carbon capture in particular. But with or without carbon capture, our facility makes positive contributions to the environment. However, we're exploring it as it would make the facility carbon negative due to the biogenic waste, non-plastic uh, component. 
But even without um, capture, the ORF is a better option than landfill. The most important thing we can do as a society is ensure that waste is reduced, particularly uh, plastic waste. But, you know, we've got another good story to tell there. The sheer amount of plastic waste that is collected and brought to us, you know, enabled Biffa to set up their plastic recycling and reprocessing plant. You know, it gave them the stock to be able to do that. You know, and that's a good news story. We're pulling out that plastic as best we can and our residents are doing the right thing on their doorstep and those are doing their right thing with their collection systems as well. But we do want less waste going into the ORF, and it's been built to be flexibly enough to operate at reduced levels of waste, as I've already said. However, the projections show that the population is likely to increase in North London and London as a whole, and more people means more waste. So we are making sure we can deal with these increases if that does occur. Landfall is simply not an option, and there are no alternatives on the table for the scale of waste that we're having to deal with in North London. In my opinion, the waste sector is fascinating, but younger people don't think the same way. Do you think it's got a problem and how do we attract more people to work in it, especially when you've got these high-level jobs coming up in the area? Yeah, and I think, you know, part of the work that we've done as part of the wider North London Heat and Power Project is around kind of shifting the kind of image and brand of essentially waste disposal and that kind of reference to high-tech jobs you know, in the construction, as well as the maintenance of these facilities, you know, and these facilities require some of the best accountants, some of the best computer people, some of the best civil engineers, some of the best engineers. It isn't just around waste goes in A and comes out in B. There was a lot that goes into that. And, you know, we've used the opportunity to go in to schools and colleges, talk about STEM subjects, talk about the route into some of those kind of career paths, talk about, you know, the apprentices and training opportunities that we're creating as part of the wider project to better educate people and make them more aware of what just the range of projects that they could be involved in on a day-to-day basis, not, not even just in the construction phase or the kind of commissioning phase. We've been really pleased with the amount of people that have been applying for those apprentices and training opportunities because there's real appetite out there. This is a big construction project, you know, probably one of the biggest in London, uh, certainly in the top two or three, I would have thought, in London at the moment. A lot of investment, a lot of different opportunities there. and People want to be part of that. And again, I'm, I'm in favour of energy recovery, but what do people most misunderstand about it? I think they misunderstand what comes out of the, the stack, the chimney. I think they, uh, you know, believe that that's just kind of all odours, that's all emissions, well, largely steam comes out of the stack. I think they don't understand the fact that there isn't alternatives of the scale for disposal of residual waste. I think they think they can't have a bigger impact on what goes in there in the first place. You know, we always say, actually, the best sorting system is in your home. When you leave your front door and you head to your bins, you are the best sorting system. You can make the real, real difference here. I mean, in Wolfram Forest, for example, 85% of household waste can be recycled in a kind of green, dry, recycled bin or brown, organic bin. And yet we're currently achieving 32%. You know, there are still too many bad decisions being made in the home. 
we have industry and its packaging approach to packaging that is still you know heavily based on single use packaging isn't coming up with alternatives so like those pizza boxes once they kind of get the oil and fat on you know it's not recyclable in the same way as a kind of raw piece of cardboard perhaps from your Amazon delivery but getting people to understand that can be a big big challenge there's so many things that are out there that then impact on what ends up going into an energy recovery facility not enough recycling has been pulled out at the earlier stages just missed opportunities really you know we'll continue to work as boas as north london waste educating people kind of reminding people what they can and can't do you know that i think there is an issue around consistency not just in london but across the uk but what you can recycle and how you approach recycling in a leafy districts you know in the home counties is going to be totally different to what you can and can't do in an urban setting like Enfield or Wolfen Forest or Hatring. You don't have the space for the same amount of separate waste receptacles. You don't have the space for some of the very lengthy alternate uh, weekly collection systems that other parts of the country have. You don't have the gardens that generate the huge tonnages of recycling that you do in some parts of the country. So, you know, there are real, real challenges in this space still. But I think extended producer responsibility, you know, making producers pay, funding local government then to do what they need to do to change their collection systems and improve uh, their recycling, really, really important. Deposit return scheme, really, really important. And simply compulsory recycling. Why do people think they can still make a choice when they watch a David Atwood program on a Sunday? Everyone should recycle. I can't understand why some people still don't. I, I like to give them the benefit of the doubt and think maybe they just contaminate stuff. Like but how that. long has that benefit of the doubt got to go on for? I mean, it should have been bedded in by now. We should be seeing more happening. The combined might of local government's kind of promotion and publicity over those years, various amounts of central government interest over all of those years, you know, the media, your David Attenborough programmes, you know, your blue planets, all of those things, combined effort, we should have seen a bigger shift. And we should have seen industry and manufacturing respond more accordingly by now. You know, why do we still have plastic stores? I mean, it's, it's, it's strange. It's so, so strange. I kind of feel maybe I, I know what the final question is, but this is what I'm saying to everyone on the learning issue. What's one question you'd wish I'd asked you and how would you have answered it? I think it would be interesting to talk a little bit about the circular economy. So, but I think, you know, in an ideal world, everything would be truly circular. We're a long, long way, unfortunately, away from that. But there are still, I believe, some relatively low-hanging fruits, particularly in the sector that we've been talking about today, where there is scope to make quite rapid progress, actually, with just a little bit of central government will quite quickly. And that would really start to kind of change things in that kind of circular economy way. All that's left for me to say is, Clyde, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. I hope you have a great Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas to you too, and hopefully a better 2023. Yeah, yeah. that's what everyone's wishing for, isn't it? The Burning Issue is presented by Luke Walsh and is produced by Zarina Dean. If you want to learn more about energy recovery, go to endswasteofbioenergy.com and you can sign up for our free newsletters or take up a subscription if you want to.